What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vane Podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest, Jake Bush. And Jake actually just knocked down a giant public land monster. It seemed like everybody who comes on right now, I've had three podcasts in a row that are 170-inch deer. So you are the fourth podcast in a row, 170-inch buck. Um, third one on public ground and one on private. But man, it is, it's pretty crazy. So we want to get into Jake's story and how he was able to, to find this deer in Ohio and get after him and get on him. But also we're just going to, before we hop into it, just real quick from our sponsors, um, Vector Custom Shop. Uh, Jake and I both shoot Vector Custom Arrows. They are awesome arrows. Um, the guys, Isaac down there and his team down in Janesville, Wisconsin, they do a great job. They grab all your bow specs and then they build an arrow specific to your specs and then ship it out to you. And it's really very comparable in price to just going and buying a half dozen of random arrows at, at Cabela's or Bass Pro or whatever they tell you to buy there. So if you really want to get a great arrow setup for your bow and you don't want to worry about tuning and all that and trying to figure all that out or you want to get a high FOC setup, give Vector Custom Shop a, a call and uh, or find them online. Just Google them. Next one is Venado Lifestyle Apparel, man. If, if you guys uh, want to get man, I've done this. I've done this, uh, intro so many times. I need to just start. <laughs> I need to start just pre-recording it and doing it once. I feel like I repeat myself, but, uh, uh, Venado guys, if you want to get lifestyle apparel, like sweatshirts, t-shirts, long sleeves, flan flannels, um, hoodies, uh, pants, vests, anything that's, I mean, they even got like a, a really nice kind of Carhartt like jacket vest that my dad loves to wear. He's a big vest dude great Christmas gift. It's a concealed carry vest. So it's got all these fun little pockets in it and all that. Go check out Venado. Um, when you spend money with them, you're spending money towards the hunting community and you're not giving it to Kohl's, Target, Walmart, or somebody else like that. All right. So check those guys out. And they are a small business out of Wisconsin as well. Last one, Onyx Maps. If you guys are, are not running Onyx Maps, you should certainly check them out. They have public and private land boundaries. They work online and offline. They have a, an app for your, for your computer. They have an app for your phone. Um, you have waypoints, GPS, tracking. I even use it when I go running in the summer just to track how many miles I run um, and how slow I am. So we can, I can certainly try to pick up the pace some days. Um, but anyway, check out Onyx Maps. Uh, they have a great app. And with that, I appreciate all the sponsors, but let's get into the story because this thing's going to be badass. What's up, Jake? Hey, how you doing, man? Good, good. So um, I always like to start, and this is pretty much the way almost every podcast starts. But like, let's do let's do context for where you're at, where you're hunting, how long you've been there, and what your history of hunting in that area has been like. Yeah, so uh, Jake Bush, I moved down to Southern Ohio June of 2019. Uh, so I've been here, what, coming up on, it'll be two and a half years right now, I guess. Um, so I hunt basically central, southern, eastern, western Ohio public land. It's <laughs> everywhere. If you, at, <laughs> if you look at any of my apps, it's just the entire thing is a, a blob. So um, it keeps I'm, people guessing. The people listening are like, oh, he hunts oh, yeah. the southern half of Ohio. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll, I'll tell you what, though, I find big deer everywhere. I mean, I find, you know, 160, 170 inch public land deer all over the place in Ohio. So they're there, you know, if you put the work in, they're definitely there. Um, but yeah, I've been here for two and a half years. I've killed three good bucks now, uh, a couple early season. That's kind of my, my go-to. And, uh, 
mainly hill country, but I do hunt a little like hill country mixed with ag every once in a while. And then I have a couple just lower spots that are uh, like swampy kind of. And it really just depends on the situation for the year, man. It depends on where I'm finding good deer, where I'm finding good uh, mast or any sort of different ag fields nearby and really what I can locate. Um, and I, I go off that. That's kind of, that's kind of who I am. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And that brings up a lot of topics right there. <laughs> um, so when you're, when you're out looking at all these different pieces, um, so, was, I mean, obviously you cover a lot of ground and then are you, you're walking all those, are you walking all these pieces? How are you picking what pieces to walk? Or are you just, uh, yeah, just, yeah, that, that's all of them. great question. So when I'm doing my e-scouting, uh, I'm very particular in what I'm looking for. So I'm looking for areas that are basically in hill country going to be on the leeward side of the ridges. I'm looking for nearby ag on private land. I'm looking for difficult access. I'm looking for all these different things and I'll mark that spot. I prefer to have as much topography in the area as possible, as far as say that you have a hub system you know, a ridge runs north-south, the hub runs to the east, and you have a bunch of points jutting out into there, kind of like the spokes of a wheel. So I'm really looking for these leeward hubs with hard-to-get-to hard spots, overlook spots, you know, uh, just different types of access, whether you have to circle around or you have to access from a creek or a river, anything like that that's going to kind of give the deer an advantage. I'll, I'll mark that spot. And I will literally go put boots on the ground, every one of them within a certain driving distance of my house. So, you know, the last two years, I'd say I averaged 500 miles a year, boots on the ground. This year was no different. This was the hardest year I've ever worked because I kind of got my ass kicked last year. Um, I got in a rut situation, which for me is not what I want to do. I want to be done hunting in my home state in the first two or three days, preferably first day. <laughs> so... I was really mad at myself and frustrated. So I really, I, I cranked it up. If you can believe there was any cranking up to do. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I scouted, I moved East about an hour this past fall. And uh, so I scouted a ton of land this spring and summer. I mean, all new stuff. Then my game plan was to get in there, try to figure out the class of bucks in the area, you know, like what class of deer here, what, how many of those deer in that area and then once I figured out that's a decent spot, like that holds deer that I'm willing to pursue is when I started diving into actually scouting that individual area. So I have an area with good bucks. Now I want to dive into that area. I want to say, okay, you know, it sets up for bedding here, here, and here. I go get in every single bed. I literally lay down in every single bed I find. I mark every one of them. I mark what they can see. I, I have a huge just log of this going on all the time, which we'll circle back to on this story, by the way, on how marking every bed will help you get around them if like during the access because they're satellite deer right so we'll get into that more but basically you know marking every bed and knowing where the primary versus secondary bedding is will help you navigate through that bedding when you're going to that primary bedding to kill that buck early season because if you blow a lot of deer off these secondary beds and you don't have a mark you you're hurting yourself you're not going to be able to kill right. early so that's a part of it. I'm locating every single primary and secondary food source possible. So whether it's a destination ag field, whether it's a giant white oak flat, whether it's a huge clear cut, marking the primary food sources, and I'm backtracking those, finding the big hub scrapes, which we'll talk a lot about because that's my hands down number one tip for early season's hub scrapes. That's where I killed my deer at 12 yards on a hub scrape this year. 
Um, and then I'm looking for rub lines, but they're not huge for me. I'm not a huge rub guy. The hub scrapes are much more important. And then secondary food sources is the other, is the number two tip that we'll talk about today as well, where I'm looking for what is this, what's the buck getting up and hitting before he gets to the primary food source? He's going to have a single white oak tree. He's going to have a briar patch. He's going to have some sort of greenery undergrowth that he's going to browse on before he gets there. He's almost using it to like stage in these big hill country situations. Perfect example this year, you know, this is, I've been doing this for a while and had a lot of early season success to do it like with this kind of mentality. And this year was no different. You know, I found the bedding. I found a bunch of different bedding in the subsystem for different winds. And I was like, okay, you know what? The only way that I can access the spots on a Northeast wind, it worked. I got the wind, I circled in. And what I had done in the spring and summer is located all of those secondary food sources. So, okay, his bed is a hundred yards from where I set up on his way to the primary destination food source for that night, which is a bean field right now on private ground. There's a little white Oak flat. It's 20 yards wide and 50 yards long and loaded with acorns this year. That's where I killed that deer was on that secondary food source. I'm not hunting these big wide open fields. I'm not hunting these giant white Oak flats. I'm hunting the secondary food sources because that's where they feel comfortable making it to in daylight. You know, they're not going to yeah. a six or seven year old bucks, not going to a bean field very often in daylight, anywhere near public ground, that's high pressure right. ground or even pressured private ground. He's not going to do it. So there's all those factors that go into locating the deer and figuring out what they're going to do going into season. And when season hits, you just have to have, you have to have, a, a, a ridiculous amount of confidence in your setup, your scouting, what you've done. And you really have to go in with just this, I'm killing mentality. You know, you have to, the whole time you're accessing, you're killing today. You're looking for any sort of little sign that's going to tip you off. You're being extremely observant. You're looking for acorns dropping. You're looking for squirrels chattering, saying, oh, you know what? There's a bunch of squirrels on that hillside that bucks bedded above those squirrels there's acorns there. So if I don't make it to that point, that might be where he stops for the night. So if I'm way back here on this white Oak flat and he's up there on that white Oak flat, I'm, I don't even have a chance. I'm out of the game. So you're paying attention to all these little things. You're paying attention to see if your scrapes are opened up. What are your trail cameras telling you? These deer are going to dive down off like they should. And you're going to kill them if you can get all that right. And I've, I really believe, you know, I tell everybody on podcast this, I hope it doesn't sound too cocky, because it's not, it's a confidence thing. And it's something that I've just ingrained in my head to tell myself every single time I go in the woods, I'm killing my target buck. That's my mentality. I, I know where he's at. I know where he's bedded. I know where he's going to go. I know what he's going to hit in between bed and food or bed and scrape or whatever it is. And I'm going to go get in between them as close as possible and kill him. That's my mentality. And you know, it only works about 10% of the time, <laughs> but when it works, you, you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like that's... how I used to feel in college when I'd go to the bars. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm getting this girl tonight. It only works 10% of the time, but I'm getting, I'm confident tonight. But you, yeah, you walk in there with all the confidence in the world, man. That's, that's <laughs> what matters. Some days, more days than other you, others, you leave defeated. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. You do. And, no. But, but you know what? You always learn a lot too. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's always a lesson to be a lesson to be learned by failing. And that's why mm -hmm. I really preached the aggressive and confident behavior to people because, you know, I see even this year, I have a lot of buddies that are after some good bucks and I see their hunting styles and they'll kill this year, no doubt, because they're grinders, they grind it out. 
but their hunting styles for early season, they're just kind of like throwing unconfident jabs in the dark at some of their spots right now. You know, they're like, ah, oh, I'm going to go sit here and I, I could see something, but I'm not sure. If you don't think you're killing, you either didn't do your homework or you're not being aggressive enough. You need to have that mentality where I know where he's at. I have the wind to do it on this day. So I'm going in there and I'm going to kill that sucker. Plain and simple. Nothing else matters. No, like you can't sit. I, I understand observation sits. I get that. And that's a little bit of a different situation, but there is no sense, at least for me, in just going in the woods and randomly throwing sits at things. If I'm not 100% positive that the wind's right for the bedding, the thermals and wind mixed are right for me to have a just off wind on that deer and I can kill him. You know what I mean? And I'm ranting, yeah. I'm ranting a little bit, but I feel like a lot of guys are leaving a lot on the table and not getting it done early when they could be because they're close. They're really close. They just don't have that final confidence. And, you know, you can, you talk to some of these guys and it's like, well, I, I think he's bedded somewhere to the West on this point over here, but I'm not quite sure. Like you need to be sure, man, especially if you want to be consistent early season, you need to be sure where he's bedded based. You need to tell yourself based on this Wendy's here. And you know what, if you're wrong, that's okay. But at least you threw a kill sit at that spot. And as opposed to just sitting back a half mile on a ridge side and, and waiting, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and, and you bring up a ton of questions there that I have for you. The first one, I, um, uh, the first one I want to, I want to jump way back to right when you started, you said you're looking for like a hub that runs East to West on a piece of public or something like yes. that. Like yep. you mentioned that, what is, what do you mean by that? Okay. So there's, there's two hubs I look for. There's a hub that runs basically to the North from the Ridge. It would be on the North side of the Ridge and then hubs that are on the East side. Reason I'm looking for those more than anything else is because they're on the leeward side of that ridge system. So they're, they're more huntable first off, and they're also uh, just easier to access and they have more, more mature bucks in those areas generally. So let's say, so, you know, so, the, so you're saying the North side of a ridge system, the yes. North and East side of ridge systems typically hold more deer. They, they do than and, a south facing or a west facing side yes and that's because of the wind down here so it take that for as a grain of salt depending on where you're at in the country you know okay. here we have a prevailing westerly or southerly wind so okay. the wind goes over those ridges and the leeward side would be the north of the eastern side of those ridges so the deer have the wind blowing over the top of the ridge over their back and they're smelling anything behind them and they can look down the ridge so they have all these advantages so for 90% of guys that are going out in the woods, they're getting busted by these deer either visually or by scent almost immediately when they enter the woods. Right. You have to, so that's where I find the biggest deer, you know, like I'll, I target a lot of different areas, but I find the biggest deer there. And that's something that I've learned to replicate. And when I replicate it, it it's consistent with mature bucks. And I'm not saying they don't bet on the other sides of the ridges. They do, but the more consistent mature buck bedding is on that side and it's easier to kill them for a lot of different reasons, you know, depending on when they're dropping down, depending on your thermal pull, you'll actually have wind fighting your thermals a little bit. Where on the windward side of a ridge, if it's on the west side of the ridge and you have a westerly wind and he's bedded in the upper third of that ridge, your wind is blowing from the west to the east to him, right? right. It's blowing ridge and then the thermals take effect and it literally sucks everything right up to them so if you're hunting a buck in a in any sort of like bowl system 
on the windward side and you're accessing from that side, you're completely out of the game right away. You don't stand a chance. Right. Sure, maybe, yeah. maybe maybe 1% of the time you do, but mm-hmm. you really don't stand a chance. Um, and the, the thing I like about those hubs too is they'll have big scrapes. You know, the, the hubs, when I'm saying a hub, it's all those betting points that I was talking about earlier. So you could have. Okay. So it's like a betting hub, like an area where a bunch of, there's a, yeah. And well, that's one thing that I want to get into, but essentially, you know, a buck doesn't have a, a single bed that he lives in, right? It's based no. on the wind and it's based on where he's going. But typically you're saying like, if there's a Northwest wind or, or a West, like a, if there's a Southwest wind in your scenario, this buck is likely to bed in one of these few primary beds on this side of the, this side of the Ridge. And there's going to be all these other deer that are also in that same area because it's the safest area. So they're all kind of going to kind of be in there, but the biggest buck is going to be in, in, in the best spot for that area or the spot that he chose. And that whole bedding area is a hub of beds. Is that, did I get that right? It is. Yes. And then it's also, it's also just the, so if you can imagine, if you're looking at a, a ridge that runs North South and then to the East, you have all like a C right where these there, there's like sub ridges that jut out. Say you have two longer sub ridges. And then in the middle, you have a bunch of like micro ridges. It makes like a C. If you put your hand on the table, you can kind of look like, okay, Ridge runs this way. I have a C that C is the bull. So what that does is you'll have bedding for a South wind, a Southwest, a West, a Northwest and a North wind. And then you'll have a Creek like running out to the East. You know what I mean? So you'll have bedding for a bunch of different wind directions too, which is why those deer are there so often. So you have all these different bedding directions. And then basically what I'm doing when I find those hubs is you find that big hub scrape that I was talking about. And any deer that's in there that dives down in that bottom at night to go to like an ag field or white oak flat or whatever they're doing is going to, is going to hit that scrape, that hub scrape. And it's really consistent. I find a lot of consistency in that. So I can actually pattern a lot of deer and just get inventory on bucks in the area over those hub scrapes. And then I kill a lot of deer over those hub scrapes. You know, a lot of these ridge systems down here are like the bedding's only a hundred yards from the scrapes. So you can, you can play off that. And then you can take it a step further and say, okay, if the bedding's at 150 yards from the scrape, but I know he's coming to the scrape at night, I'm going to go from the scrape. And then I'm going to work my way up the ridge until I find like a white Oak tree. And I'm going to set up on that white in between his bed and the scrape on a white Oak tree and just let him drop down the ridge and kill him. Right. Cause he's likely to drop down, hit that white Oak, grab a couple acorns before he's hitting the scrape. Yes, exactly. Is that, is the, is 150 yards. Like what's your marker for how close you're trying to get to. So it depends on the situation. I, I have uh, I actually have bucks that are a couple giant bucks that I don't even pursue because the woods are wide open. So they're bedded up on top of a ridge and it's wide open, hard timber. The nearest I could get to that buck without being seen is probably 200 yards, maybe even like 180 yards. I mean, it's just these big, long sweeping ridges and he's got you if you're in there. So I don't even target that deer. I'm targeting the deer that I can actually get within like 80 to 100 yards of their bed. I prefer the, the best mark for me is 80 yards, you know, 75, 80 yards. I feel like a deer is willing to get up and do that most nights. Um, I have killed them and I do have spots where I have to be even 50 yards if it's thick enough. You know, if it's on the edge of a clear cut and I, ha- I know that I have to get right on that transition line, 
I've, I mean, I've been in a tree, set up my tree stand 30, 40 yards from a deer and let them stand up and take three steps and, and shot them and kill them. So it's, it's just situational, but I would say for 90% of my early season sits, I'm within 80 to hundred yards of that bedded buck when I'm setting up, when I'm doing everything. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, no. And that's a good, that's a great point to make. Um, cause in early season, uh, it's, it's something that we haven't mentioned d- directly yet, but early season deer aren't moving very far, right. Especially during daylight hours. They're not, they're not putting on miles like they do in the pre-rut or the rut. Like they're moving from bed to food, short distance possible with some water in between if they need it and they can't get it from whatever they're eating at night, which they usually can. They can usually get all their water from the soybeans or from whatever they're munching on at night. Um, so one of the other, you mentioned the hub scrapes, um, but before we get to, before we get to the hub scrapes, when you said you're, you're not even targeting some of these deer. So one of the things I imagine you do, and, and please confirm, confirm this for me, is that when you're, you're spreading yourself across the Southern half of Ohio, right. And you're looking for all these areas and you're finding mature deer on these areas. And most areas will hold some sort of mature deer, right. That I, it, maybe not antler size, right. But most areas will have a six or seven year old, but maybe they're only 130 class or 120 class. They're just, they're just smaller genetics, smaller deer over there, worse food sources, whatever it is. So you find, so you find, let's just call it seven areas that all hold nice bucks that are in that 150 or greater class that you're, that you're willing to go after. Um, then from there, uh, you are then breaking it down based on what, what deer can I actually kill? Yes. Right. Cause some of these areas, like you just mentioned are not like, they're very, very difficult to kill. And it's like, okay, well, if I can't find anything else, I guess I can try to sneak in here and figure this out, but it's, I'm going to have to be really, really cautious with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. Right. So then, so essentially your, it's not necessarily and this is something that I feel like a lot of people get stuck on is they hunt a hundred acres or they hunt 30 acres or they hunt like 80 acres or even like 300 acres. They hunt a very specific piece, regardless of how good that piece is. They're like, Oh, I have access to this, or this is the piece of public that I hunt. We'll have you looked at the piece of public, you know, 20 miles down the road. No, why would I do that? I have 400 acres here. Well, there might be a better, more killable spot on that other piece right? With similar sized deer. So I, I, I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that mentality and they don't start. And that's a, this is a common trend I see with a lot of, a lot of big buck killers is they have hundreds of waypoints across 50 different properties. And, and they're really trying to like narrow it down to find out where a specific deer is that is in a pattern that is killable. Right. That's the, that's the hardest part is narrowing it down to that <laughs> and putting in the time. So I'm, I'm really, is that, is that, that's kind of your strategy, right? And that's how you're able yeah. to look. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 100%. And uh, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. That's, you know, I'm looking and finding, you know, five, 10, 15 bucks in a class that I like, and I'm finding the one that I believe that I can be the most efficient on and that I can kill first day. Oh, and then I'll, you know, obviously after that second day and I'm, 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 that's how I'm dialing in these spots. And so it's not a matter of locating one good buck on the year and being like, okay, I'm going to wait for the perfect situation to go kill him. No, I've got so many backup plans that I can bounce a little bit too, based on different wind conditions. 
based on a lot of different factors and just eventually catch up with one of them. And that's what helps me be so aggressive too. You know, like, yeah, I'm preaching the aggressive strategy, but maybe if you only have one deer and it's only on 50 acres, maybe you don't have such an aggressive strategy because if you blow them out, you're, you're done, you know, he's going to bump a little bit. So I understand that side of it, but for the hunting that I'm doing for the style that I'm doing, I, I really don't care if I bump a deer. It does not matter to me whatsoever. I've got 10, 15 backup plans. You know, I've just got right. this, this case full of deer, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Which gives you, right. I mean, yeah. Back to the whole bar thing. If you have 10 backup women, like, and you strike out on number one, like fine, <laughs> I'm going to the next. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that exactly. makes, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's the, that's the opportunity you get with putting in as much homework as you do. Right. You're not, you're not stuck and chained into this one deer on this one piece of property. You have all these different options, which allows you to be extremely aggressive and more. So like if, if you're a weekend warrior and the spot you're trying to hunt is only good for whatever, a Northeast wind, some oddball wind, and you don't get that on a weekend, like you're kind of SOL. Right. And so having multiple spots for multiple wind directions across, you know, whatever, 50 miles, 60 miles that you're willing to travel. Like that's, that's how you're able to kill on the weekend is you have to have a lot of opportunity or you have to have a lot of uh, backup plans or a lot of chances. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just comes down to work put in, man. It really does. You know, between early season, between summer scouting, pulling trail cameras, all of that, the more work that you put in, the more backups you're going to have, the more opportunities that you can make for yourself. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the recipe here. And if you pay attention to any of the guys that are really good, you know, a lot of like uh, Andy May or Dan Infald or the DeQuistos or any of those guys, the amount of work that they put in and the time and effort they put in is just unmatched. And that's why they have the success that they do. And that's something that I'm trying to replicate as well. Yeah. No, and yes, hundred percent. Those guys put in a ton, a ton of work. Um, so then with your trying, when you try, when you say you're trying to five, five, 10, 15 bucks, how are you doing that? Um, are you doing that via like glassing or trail cams or bumping them out of beds as you're scouting in the summer? Or, or what is your, what's your avenue for locating those deer? All three actually. So, okay. <laughs> so, yep. So I run uh, just shy of 40 cameras on public. I run them. I mean, all over the place. I, I used to run like one in a hub and I would just try to get pictures of like that one good buck there, but I've kind of changed a little bit and now I'll run like four or five in a hub. So I've got what, six, seven, I've got seven or eight spots this year that I'm running like four or five cameras at least. And so I'm getting a little bit more intel of the area on top of that. You know, there's a couple hub scrapes, there's a good food source. There's all these different things that I'm trying to just key in on a little bit more. And a lot of times you'll just have bucks that walk by cameras and you, you just don't get them all on, on a single camera. So I've tried running multiple cameras in areas now. I glass a ton. I mean, if you follow my Instagram stories at all, I'm literally glassing all summer. It's every single night I'm out glassing new pieces of public. We're driving far to get to those spots. And I located a ton of giant bucks this year doing that, that I didn't know were in the area. You know, I, I knew of the area, obviously there's a reason I'm there. I already pre-scouted it, but I didn't find any of those giant sheds. And uh, I didn't really, I, I knew there was bucks there, but it's like, I need to validate how big they are. And I validated a lot of that just on glassing. 
So that's a big, big strategy for me. And then if I'm in a pinch, like if, you know, I moved down in June of 2019 and I was in a pinch for season because I didn't have any sort of spring scouting. If I'm in a pinch or for some reason I don't have a target buck, what I'll do, get up on these leeward ridges on the leeward side and I'll just walk really slow and wind bump them and glass the bucks as they run down the hill up the other side of the ridge. You know, they go down through the bottom, they come up and they come back and they just look back at you in the summertime. And I'll locate big bucks like that too. And I have no concern whatsoever that they will use that bed 10 or 15 more times before season and they'll use it through season and I can kill them right on the bed I bumped them out of. There's, there's no concern in my mind whatsoever for doing that. So yeah, I have all three of those strategies. Gotcha. <clears throat> okay, so we're narrowing down um, the areas where these bucks are and we're narrowing down these specific pieces that hold bucks that, that you're willing to target. And once you find, I mean, you've done all your pre-scouting and I, I apologize because I'm trying to run through your process in my own head and, and regurgitate it for, for, yeah, for everybody listening and myself. So um, you find a good buck on a piece and you're like, okay, I've already walked this piece in the spring based on where, what field he's in and where I'm seeing him. He's probably up in this hub with this type of wind because I've already walked it. I already know like that, the general area. So now with that in mind, um, I need to, then I know where these, these, these hub scrapes are. Um, so now I'm going to start dropping some cameras in here to see precisely where he's kind of moving throughout the day or where he's likely to go. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. And, and okay. like I said, I've already got the, I already know where the hub scrapes are at. So it's pretty easy to run and throw some cameras up on them. I already know every food source in there, whether it's briar patches, whether it's single oak trees on the trails to and from bedding, like I've already paid attention to all that stuff. So I have a really good idea when I go in, normally I'll actually look at my map and drop pins of where I want to put my cameras. And I just walk to those pins and it's within 50 yards generally. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to put a camera here for sure. <laughs> And uh, gotcha. that'll help you a lot too. And I, I really get into that when I get in ridges that aren't as hubby. Like, so say that I have a ridge that, you know, it's, it's still a hub, but it, it's not as much of a C. And so they could bed on multiple points for like the same wind. You know, like the, the ideal hub is a hub where they, they bet on this point for a South, they bet on this point for a West. You can really narrow it down, but some of them have so many different ridges coming off of them that I'm like, you know what? I know he's bedded on one of these four ridges in this hub. So I need to figure out which one he beds on more often. And I'm going to put cameras on the trails leading off of those to that hub scrape to, to determine that basically. Um, so yeah, go in, put the cameras up. Gotcha. And what I do, I put all my cameras up in as early in the summer as I can. So in the spots, I just know that have good bucks. I find good sheds or anything else. My cameras go up and like, late June, early July. And then as I'm glassing some of these spots, I'll go in and put cameras up throughout the summer if, if necessary. Um, so I go in one time in the summer to these spots. I go in once. And then I'll pull every single camera in the month of September leading the season. So this year I went out, it was seven trips. It was over 60 miles boots on the ground hiking in September just to pull cameras, replace batteries, replace cards. And there's all the intel I need for early season. I'm like, okay, you know what? on a northeast wind i had this buck here and he dropped down here hit this scrape and when the white oaks start to fall which you know generally mid-september they're starting to drop a little bit this area should light up 
and I'll, I'll pull my, the, I'll pull my secondary cameras first. So the areas that are kind of like backup plans where like maybe I glassed a good one in a field or something, I'll pull those at the beginning of September. And the closer I get to the season, I'll be pulling my better cameras. Reason being is that real-time intel. You know, like you'll start to see rubs in these areas. You'll start to see your acorns dropping. The scrapes will open up even more than they already have been. And so as I get to season, you know, like this year, I pulled the spot I killed my buck in. I don't know, like a week and a half or two weeks before season. And that white oak flat was already getting hammered. It was dropping acorns and it was getting hammered. And I made a story about how I was going to kill a buck on that scrape early season and <laughs> pulled the camera. Yeah. And sure enough, he had been there a couple of times. So I was like, okay, you know, I, I have him. I just need the wind to be able to access this spot and get in here and kill him. And I'll be right where I need to be. Yeah. Okay. So and you're not you're not concerned at all with going in there a week and a half before season and grabbing that camera? Nope. It doesn't bother me at all. And I'm not putting my cameras on the beds. You know, right, I don't you're run putting any, them on the scrape. Yeah, I'm putting them roughly 80 to 100 yards away from the beds. Generally. So and maybe maybe all the way down to 50 yards, but I'm not actually intruding in their beds two weeks before season. Now, I have right. before and I've killed them doing that, but I prefer not to still. I prefer to get in there check the cameras, do my wind mapping, find exactly what secondary food sources are good right now at this point. You know, I almost treat it like a day of scouting. I'm like, okay, I know where the bed's at or I'm, I'm going to stay out of those. I'm going to walk up towards the bedding a little bit, pull that camera. And I want to verify if these oak trees, A, have acorns or, and if they're dropping already. And then I want to drive around those pieces if it's a piece that has private ag around it. And I want to verify that the ag is still up. It hasn't been taken down yet. You know, I treat that day as a day of scouting. Um, I'll wind map a lot too when I'm pulling cards. You know, like mid-September, the leaves are on. It's a hot day. It's basically the same situation you're going to have going into season. So I'll throw a ton of milkweed for my setups. And I'm like, okay, you know, I have a west wind today. He's bedded right there. If he comes down off this ridge, where do I need to be to shoot this white oak tree? And I'll throw milkweed. And I'm just watching it the whole time. I'm like, okay, I could, I could be here. But if I sit in that tree 10 yards further, he's got me. You know, so I'm playing that game as well. I'm trying to put all the pieces together then for those for those first couple sets. Sure. Yeah, that's that's intense. That's a lot of data collection. But at the same time, it makes it makes I mean, you kill the Giants <laughs> 170 inch deer on your first set. So can't can't deny it. Um, how are you able to discern um, hub scrapes versus like satellite or like oddball one off scrapes? So hub scrapes get hit all year round. You know, if I run a camera for the whole year, I'll have bucks right before they shed hitting it, you know, January, January, February, I'll have shed bucks hitting those, those scrapes, hitting the licking branches. doesn't matter if there's snow on the ground. doesn't matter if it's raining. It, none of it matters. They're always hitting those because they're always bedded close to those areas and they're kind of doing the same thing. And uh, that actually brings up my next point too, is when you're doing your scouting, you know, everybody talks about like the late summer, early fall shift that happens. I agree. There is a shift in some areas. You can, you can scout your way into areas that don't shift like that. You know, if you're hunting hub systems that have big clear cuts and they have food year round and they don't get a lot of uh, pressure from like hikers or anything like that, or hunters or anything, those deer never leave. They're always there. So they're always hitting those hub scrapes a little bit more. If you're 
hunting an area where you're you're relying on a white oak flat as the food source but a mile away there's a bean field you need to be yeah you need to scout that area but you need to be glassing the bean field because the bean field bucks are your bucks when the shift happens you know so you have to you have to decide is your area an area where i'm going to anticipate a shift or is your area an area where i know the deer are there all year round there's two different types of, of situations i see a lot of guys will uh set up cameras in like June or July and they'll check them like every week or two weeks. And by the time September rolls around, they pulled their cameras out of that big wood setting because they're not getting any bucks on it. Well, you got to leave those cameras because they're down on the bean fields right now. They'll be where you're at and they'll be on your cameras in like two weeks and you can kill them there early season first day. Don't sell yourself short of your scouting and what you're doing. You have to trust it. You have to make sure that the deer are there when you want them to be there, but you, you also have to be able to recognize that, you know, I've, I glassed a lot of bucks in private bean fields this year that were up to a mile and a half from where I have pictures of them on my cameras in big woods right now. And I knew they'd be there. I found their sheds there. It was just a matter of the white oaks dropping and the bean fields starting to brown up. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. And I, I a hundred percent agree. And that is a common theme across big buck killers is essentially not necessarily playing playing the shift but understanding the food sources that these deer are going to and where they're going to go because when you have you, you know when you have a standing when you have all green bean fields and that's the primary food source and there's no pressure there isn't a whole lot of reason for these bucks to leave these fields right i mean they they can live there they've done it for the last five six years they just live right off the field edge no mm -hmm. one bothers them except maybe a dog barking down the road and they can get up and eat and get fat all summer, right? Yeah, but exactly. then all of a sudden the beans turn yellow and the corn gets whatever chopped or cut or picked or whatever. And now all of a sudden all that cover and all that food has kind of changed and shifted. And now I got all these delicious acorns up on the field, up uh, up in the woods up here, like, and I got cover. And all of a sudden there's, there's squirrel hunters bopping around. There's more people out here. Like there's some hikers moving around. Now I can go up on this, on this ridge side where no one is. And I got a whole bunch of food and this is where Betty's going to be when she gets into estrus in a few weeks or, or a month or whatever. So might as well head up that way and get prepped and start marking out my territory and making sure no one else is beating me to that. Right. That's, that's the shift. But if you don't uh, exactly to your point, if all the food and Betty Lou and all of her friends are all in the same area all year round like why am i leaving there's exactly. no pressure or anything i i don't have to leave i can just stay and live in this and keep this territory exactly. so um the the hub scrapes i want to just jump right back to that one because it's one thing that's i've i've certainly found hub scrapes and i've put um cameras on them the one thing that i that i tend to have trouble with is like i'll look at a scrape and it'll look really good and i'll put a camera on it um and it won't, it won't open. Like I, it won't produce, like I, I hope it would. Right. Like it's, it's an annual scrape. It's not in I'm not talking, I'm not talking field edge scrapes. That's what so many people start to key in on is just like a giant scrape line along a field edge. And on public ground to your point earlier, that's just really, that's mainly nocturnal activity. You're not going to mm. find a whole lot there. Like you yep. want to find these more secluded scrapes. Um, and so one of the, so how are you able to identify, like, if you're looking at a scrape before you even put a camera on it, are there any tricks or anything that you go, this is, 
this is like 99% of hub scrape? Yeah. So the first thing I'm looking for is like, is just multiple years of use. So the really good hub scrapes, it'll, it'll look like there's somebody dug a hole almost, you know, it'll be like even a foot into the ground. You'll just have a hole. And then the licking branch is like the biggest factor for me. You know, if you see a bunch of old uh, limbs off that tree that have been like torn off, you know, you'll see scars from where they were, or you'll see just the one that's like knotted up and browned up and rotten and just looks nasty. Like that's a, that's probably a spot you need to be. Um, the other thing that really determines how good a hub scrape is and might be something that you ran into a little bit. I know that I've been tricked by this before too, is if you just find a hub scrape in a hub, like if you find a good scrape in a hub, but the deer are going the opposite direction on the ridge, they don't have to go down to that hub scrape before they go up the ridge to feed. You know, I'm, the hub scrapes that I'm targeting and that I'm trying to get inventory on are, are areas where I know the deer are going to come down the hill, they're going to go into the bottom, and then they're going to go up the other side of that ridge due to like terrain maybe, or they're going to go into that bottom and follow a creek out into an ag field, into a private ag. So I'm, I'm trying to basically locate the ones where there's more activity they have to go down there they're going down there almost almost every day i mean almost daily they're they're going down hitting that scrape okay so it's essentially it's the ones that you're you're guesstimating here is the food source you know to the east the bed is to the west there's a hub scrape to the south also to the west and then one to the east between the food source and the beds i'm putting my camera on that one that's between the two because it's exactly. very light it's just they pass by it. So why not hit it type of thing? Exactly. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So then let's, um, okay. We've covered a, a, a ton here on the whole setup. I want to hear the exact story of your, of your deer. Let's cover this, the story and all that. Yep. So, uh, it really starts last year, last rut, actually, I, I found a new area. I had just moved. I moved last, uh, like October 6th to a new area of Ohio. And so I have no Intel, you know, and I have limited cameras because all my cameras Why are already would you up. move in the fall, man. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, trust me. The, I was so frustrated with that whole process. And it was just like worst case scenario, right? I get in a car crash opening day, have to go buy a new vehicle. I move like everything just hit me basically. And, uh, so I, I get to this new area and I went and picked up a couple cameras and I was like, you know what, I'm going to throw, some cameras and just some terrain features to try to get a general idea of what's going to move through here in the month of November. And that'll give me an idea of if I even want to target that spot or not. And, uh, did that in a couple of different areas. And I had one area in particular that was just getting hammered with giant bucks. I mean, like 160 plus bucks would cross this one funnel almost daily. I mean, it was crazy. I had a ton of them on it. So in my head, I'm like, well, as soon as season's over, I'm going to get my ass in there and I'm going to scout the hell out of this property and try to just learn it the best I can. So uh, winter came around, I started scouting and it was like shed haven in there. I mean, it didn't look like, I don't know if there's ever been a shed hunter in there. I found 49 sheds on public last year and I found half of them in like a thousand acre section. It was unbelievable. And I found a 170 inch 14 point typical set of sheds in there as well on an oak flat. So oh this, my God. This spot's unbelievable. I mean, I'm going, I'm a shed guy. So I'm going through there and it's like gold to me. I'm like, oh my God, this place is amazing. <laughs> so I actually targeted that spot a little bit different as far as scouting goes. Um, 
generally I do the leeward thing and I check like what we talked about. I'm trying to replicate that, but with this spot, it's, it's only like, I don't know, the chunk I'm actually targeting out of this whole giant property is only like a thousand acres that I found that's good. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to go through it all and like almost grid search the whole thing kind of for sheds, but I'm, I'm doing it for my scouting as well. You know, I'm locating every bed, whether it's leeward or not locating every oak flat, whether it's leeward or not locating all the hub scrapes, basically just tearing this property apart. I mean, I spent weeks in here. So I got done with the whole thing and learned a ton of good information and, uh, was really, it was a matter of this spring finishing up my scouting and then putting cameras out in June to just try to locate some of these good bucks. So it's a spot that I have service. So I've got a cell cam up top and I just like, there's one spot I have service, the bottoms, I really don't have service. So cell cam up top, just so I have one in the area, you know, it's kind of like real time inventory throughout the summer because I'm really anxious about this spot. And, uh, I ran a ton of just regular cameras in there. I mean, I don't know. I ran, probably 10 or 12 cameras total, just really trying to dial it in and fine tune it. And that cell cam one day, it was like late June popped off. And I just had this, I mean, a giant velvet buck already had like crazy mass. He already had like 10 inch G2s. He was just a giant buck. Yeah. I could see he had split brow tines already, you know, and he was still growing and he was still really nubbed out, but I was like, yeah, that's definitely a buck that is going to be in the class. I want to target. Yeah. So, uh, I was, I was really patient all summer, you know, I was glassing around these areas and I really didn't see a whole lot. I mean, I didn't, I never located a shooter buck in this area glassing. And I, so I started spending a lot of time glassing other areas and, uh, I was almost like kind of concerned. I was like, man, I'm not getting anything around this area that I think these good bucks where I think they should be. And yeah, there's some, there's some egg within like a mile and a half ish maybe, maybe a little closer than that, maybe a mile, but there's, there's ag around a little bit. So there's no telling where they're actually at. Um, they could be on those ag fields that, that could just be what's going to happen. And then when the acorns drop, maybe they'll shift back. So I decided to wait, you know, I'm going to wait until the last trail camera pole that I have to go in here and pull these cameras. And hopefully by then there's a good one in here. Yeah. And uh, mid September rolled around. I went in, I pulled, all of those cameras replaced cards and batteries in them. And I had the buck I killed on camera twice. And then I had a really nice 11 point, like probably a 160, 11 point split brow tine, nice buck, like really wide buck. And then a ton of just like the 140 class eight and 10 points, like a ton of them. So I was like, okay, there's, there's two bucks that I'm willing. <laughs> Not many people go. Yeah. I just got a, a ton of 140 class bucks just running around. I, I, <laughs> oh, that's pretty dude. awesome man I, I i i know how it sounds man but I'm just... <laughs> are you in iowa come on <laughs> oh yeah it feels like it sometimes i'm telling you but uh so i did have two target bucks that i was willing to shoot in that area and i was like the the one is on the other side of the property one's on basically the northeast one's on the southwest of the property they both bed for like uh the leeward wind on the it would be the easterly side of this ridge system quite often. But the one buck would spend, when I was getting them on camera, it was actually on a north wind. Like I'd get them on a north wind coming down to a hub scrape that was actually a windward scrape. And so I just remember thinking like in the back of my head, okay, you know, if I get a north wind, that's a big buck. I'm, I could, I think I could get in there and kill him 
and uh, closer season got, we got a North wind one time and I was looking at my maps. I was like, you know what? I really can't even access this because of the way that it splits up against the private with a North wind, like North's not going to work for me. I really need an East wind and he would be bedded in that same hub, but just that hub doesn't set up the, the typical C we were talking about. It sets up where the C for East wind would still be in that C. So it still works. So uh, I was up in New York, my, my dad passed. And so I was up there with family and uh, we were getting a lot of stuff taken care of and I had to come back to work. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to head back home. And it just so happened the day that I had home was a Northeast wind. It was like, a, I mean, really a Northeast, but it was going to switch to more Easterly as the night went on. And I was, I got home at like 1 PM and I checked my phone just for the wind. And I was like, you know what? I've had a lot of shit going on, but I'm going to go kill this deer. Like I'm, I'm going to go kill him. I know he's bedded in that hub on that one, like one specific point. Like I know exactly what point this buck's bedded on because the a North wind's rare and an East wind's rare. And so the bedding, they don't have as many bedding locations. You know, they might have half the bedding locations that they do for the prevailing Westerly or Southerly winds because they get that all the time and they can figure that out better. Right. So I was like, I know exactly where he's bedded at. There's no doubt in my mind of course this is in my head and uh i can circle way around you know he's only like 400 yards from the road but i can circle the complete way around this property and come back up the drainage and set up on him and it's like just over or just under two and a half miles total so checking my wind wind's good get all my gear i get my truck i drive to that spot get out and immediately I'm checking the wind with the milkweed. And I was like, Oh my God, it's like dead East. It's perfect wind. It's perfect. For this. <laughs> the whole time I mean, I'm filming it, you know, with my camera for YouTube, but I'm also doing my Instagram stories and I'm telling everybody like, guys, this buck is dead. Like he is, he's, he's going to die tonight because I can get in there as long as I don't bump a satellite buck off some weird bedding. So I walk in like the first probably mile and a quarter just fast. I'm, I'm like running pace almost, you know, I'm like a little behind the eight ball. It's a little, little later than I'd like it to be. And so I'm really getting in there. And finally I get up against uh, some private where I have to like loop around the private a little bit. I loop around it. And now I'm up on a easterly facing Ridge and the bucks bedded down the drainage and on the Ridge on the other side. So I'm taking my time. I mean, it took me from this point, almost an probably two, probably close to two hours to close the next three quarters of a mile. You know, I'm waiting for a gust of wind. I'm waiting for a squirrel to chatter or, you know, any, any sort of noise I can get to take a step because I know there's deer nearby. It's loaded with does in there. And, uh, I'm going along, you know, I get to one point where there's not a whole lot of cover on that ridge side. And there's like one little just briar line. So I get behind the briar line and I'm crawling now and I'm just crawling on this ridge side the whole time in my head, I'm like, that deer is like probably right now 300 yards away, but I know there's satellites bedded like a hundred yards away and I cannot bump these deer. And so I, I'm, I'm going further and further and the further South that I get, the better I'm starting to feel because he's bedded like more North Easterly up into this hub. So the further South I get, I'm getting further away from him. And I get further and further. And I finally get to the point where I'm going to jump back to the East and down a cliff I mean, like a 20 foot cliff, I had to scale down and grab trees and slide. And I get to that point and I bust a deer off, off of a bed that was bedded for 
it like it would be a primary buck bed on a westerly wind. And I knew the bed was there, but I knew that my buck wasn't going to be there on an easterly wind. He's not going to give himself that disadvantage. So I bumped right. a buck off it. <clears throat> Pretty sure it was probably like a two-year-old or a three-year-old buck. It was uh, definitely a buck, though. It sounded a little bit heavier, single deer. But in my head, that's not my buck. Like I just, I know from, from wind-based bedding and I know from just all my scouting, he's not doing that. A six-year-old deer isn't going to give somebody the opportunity to sneak up on him from behind with the wind not at his back. Right. So it really didn't bother me at all. The only thing I was a little worried about, I was like, I just hope he doesn't run over and just like run past that buck too close and uh, like just tip him off a little bit. And so I kept going. I had to wade through a pond, basically, like a lot of the hills around here have just it's kind of like clay bottom. So they have a lot of ponds, too. So I wade through this little pond and um, my plan was I got to go through the pond. I got to come up a ridge and then I can see the oak flat I want to target. And I'm just going to sit up on top of that ridge and listen for acorns dropping. And if the acorns are dropping on that ridge, I'm going to set up on that ridge. If they're not, I'm going to go one more ridge over, which I really don't want to do because that's about half the distance to that bed and it starts to get wide open. But I got to go where that buck's at. You know, I'm giving this thing one shot. So I get up on top of this ridge. And I'm just sitting there and I mean, there's squirrels everywhere on that white oak flat. There's like a dozen squirrels going crazy, fighting each other for acorns. And I was like, this is it, man. He's here. He's going to come yeah. off his bed, this white oak flat. All I have to do at this point is make it another 50 yards and set up at the beginning of the oak flat. You know, I want to be able to shoot the first white oak tree. If I'm way back here on this oak flat, 50 yards, he might never make it to me in daylight. And, uh, so I was up on that ridge stump, get ready to go. And there's a hub scrape that is on that white oak flat. Like basically that oak flat is like the center ridge of this whole system. So they come down off these ridges and they hit that white oak ridge. And that's kind of their travel route as well. So I have that easterly wind right now. I'm on the westerly side of that ridge. And I just remember telling myself, like, get down, you know, work your way up the one side of that little sub ridge white oak flat and then jump up so you can shoot that first white oak tree and i'm working closer and closer and i mean i'm really at this point taking my time because i can see through the woods to where the briar patch he's bedded is you know like he could if he was really paying attention he could have seen me from my waist up basically and so i'm i mean i'm like just crawling and i'm trying not to be seen trying to be as quiet as possible you know if i break a stick i just pause for like five minutes because I don't want him to be, even be looking my direction and uh, finally get to the tree I need to be at. And I sneak up the ridge. So I'm behind it. I have the tree in between me and him, you know, he's at less than a hundred yards at this point. Like there's no doubt in my mind, he's bedded right there, less than a hundred yards. My wind's perfect. And uh, I start climbing up the tree and I mean, I'm setting a stick, I'm waiting for noise to tie it on and to actually set it. And then I do another stick and I do another stick and I get up, what was it? Four sticks high. And I decided like, there's no way I'm putting my tree stand on the front side of this tree, because if I do that, he's got me, he's got me pegged. I'm going to stay on the backside and I'm going to saddle hunt. You know, I always wear a saddle in just for this situation right here. So I'm on the backside of the tree and I basically would have him coming down the white oak flat to that first white oak tree, which just so happens to be that hub scrape at 12 yards, strong side saddle shot. So I don't even have to move. So I hang my bow up 
And uh, I'm just sitting there, you know, probably an hour goes by and I'm doing a little bit of filming and whispering on the camera and just trying to basically getting set up. And I'm, I'm telling myself the whole time, like this deer's dead. There's no doubt in my mind he's dying tonight. And all of a sudden I hear a stick crack and I look over and here comes three does. And this is worst case scenario for me. You know, I, I don't like seeing does at all. I don't want a doe to be anywhere around me, but I have the bulletproof wind. You know, I have this perfect wind. But this oak flat's getting hammered, man. I mean, they're they're just on this oak flat. So these does stayed on this oak flat for like a half hour. And they're <laughs> at like 10 yards. And I'm kind of twisted in the tree. And I'm starting to shake real bad because I'm tense. And uh, the big doe looks up at me and she starts stomping. And I'm just, I close my eyes so she can't see my eyeballs. And I just hear her stomping at me. And like five minutes goes by her just having me pinned. And for some reason she flicked her tail and they just left that Oak flat. They just went away, which I, you know, normally they snort and blow and all sorts of stuff. She just left. And I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Like I cannot believe <laughs> they left. Appreciate and, that one, dad. Oh, so yeah, exactly. So I took a real deep breath here yeah. cause I've been just like barely breathing. So she can't see my lungs or anything. And, uh, another five or 10 minutes goes by and I was like, well, they came right from that same bedding area. They were downhill on the bottom of it, basically. Like, so that buck should still be above them and take the exact same travel route. And I'm thinking like, man, he's going to come around that. There's like a cut and the ridge where they have to come around it. And then they come down that flat. He should come the same way. And as soon as I said that, I looked over and I just see this big white rack, just like Bullwinkle kind of, you know, uh, knocking back and forth. And he's in a hurry though. He's like, he, he is, he has such a bulletproof spot and he feels like he knows if a hunter would be there so much that he doesn't have a care in the world. All he's thinking about is, man, I've been laying up on that ridge side for the last 10 hours and I've heard 5,000 white oaks hit the ground. I've heard all these acorns drop and I'm going to get those damn acorns. <laughs> for the day. And that was the only thing on his mind, man. He turned the corner, he came down. Uh, he hit the scrape, the hub scrape right in front of me, but the way I was set up, I couldn't shoot the hub scrape and he's, he's quartering two, but I can't shoot him yet. I need him to take like two more steps. I'm already drawn back by the way. I drew back like, you know, 20 yards early, like normal. I've got my camera set up on him. Perfect. And, uh, he decides there's like a broken sapling, right? So there's a sapling that's like three feet tall that is like completely just broke off. So it's just like a three foot stick sticking out of the ground. Right. That's a, I've never seen this before, but that is their primary scrape licking branch. He was chewing on this damn thing. He's like leaving his forehead, his forehead sent on it. And he's chewing on this, the stick sticking out of the ground. And the more I look at it now, it's all like splayed out. Like, yeah, they're using that as a licking branch. Crazy, but Yeah. But it was crazy. But so this guy decides I'm going to work this licking branch for a while and I'm drawn back, you know, I'm starting to shake. I'm like, come on, man, you got to come forward. And he takes uh, one step forward with his left foot. So his right shoulder's back. So I can't shoot yet. And I was like, all I need is one more step. And I'm plugging him right through, you know, right at the back of the shoulder, double lung. And he took that next step. And I just pulled through my release and uh, smoked him. It was like 12 yards. And he ran. I've been lucky the last few years. This keeps happening to me. But he ran 35, 40 yards up the ridge side and just fell right back down to me just tipped over backwards and fell right back down and uh man i was i was fired up and you know yeah. not, only, not only did this hunt work but with the whole the whole dad situation i was just like so fired up about it 
And uh, oh, yeah. I, I was tore up, man. You know, that, that hunt meant more to me than any hunt I've ever had. That deer means more to me. And I worked my ass off getting in there to kill that thing. Like that yeah. was the hardest hunt of my life. And there's something about doing those little tiny, like stalking steps. It just wears you out over the course of hours of doing that. Oh yeah. Dude, everyone's been there when, when you break a branch and you're like, gosh, I should just stand here. But you're like, I can just rush through this and just get there faster right? Exactly. or whatever. Like everyone has thought about that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Oh, yeah, dude, it was a, it was an awesome hunt. And, uh, you know, obviously like the, everybody's like, I can't believe you called it the whole time on Instagram and stuff. Cause I'm giving them live feeds. And I was like, guys, like what you don't understand though, is I do that every time I go out and it works like maybe 10% of the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> it yeah, looks I like do, magic this time, but but, but that is, you know, if you watch those stories, I have them pinned on my Instagram says 2021 buck. If you go through that sequence, that's how I act every single time I go in. Like, there's no doubt in my mind I'm killing. And a lot of times, it, you know, the sun goes down, it's dark. And I'm like, well, shit, that didn't work. But that's the, <laughs> that's the thought process that goes into it and how careful I am going in, how careful the access is for me, you know, like just trying to put all these pieces together. That's, that's my recipe. Right. No, that's awesome, dude. I, uh, I can only imagine the, the emotional roller coaster that is killing a, killing a good buck in general is an emotional roller coaster, right? Massive highs, um, and massive lows when you don't think he's coming in and what's going on and just anxiety the entire time you're in the tree stand, but then adding on to it, you know, the whole, the, the emotions of the last few days for you and your family, and then having the does come in and almost blow out and having a, whatever, a three hour freaking hike in, um, just to be like extra precautious and, and, and having all of that all come together all at once. And it's just, dude, I, yeah, I, I could easily see how you just like shake yourself right out of that tree stand. And, oh. and you just, yeah, you, I mean, just freaking whatever, like all those emotions hit you and you just break down right in that tree after that happens. You're just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, dude, it was, it was wild. And you know, it's all on video and stuff and it's going to be, I'm going to post it. I'm going to, I'm going to edit it out and post it and do it for dad and stuff. It's uh it's, it's all, it's really emotional after the shot, as you can imagine, like, yeah. I just freaking let loose, man. But that's real life. You know, that's, there's no acting there. There's it's genuine as it gets. And so yeah, I'm going to post it. I was going back and forth if I would. And my girlfriend's like, yeah, you got to do it. Like, this is you, this is what you live for. Like, it doesn't matter if you get emotional, that's okay. And especially in a time like this, like that's okay to do. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be posted on the YouTube, man. It should be a good hunt. Are you going to try to, are you going to post it this year? Or are you going to wait until next year to throw it up? So it'll be done by the end of October. That's my plan. Okay. I want to get it out there for guys to get fired up for the rut. And uh, it, see, it always helps me. You know what I mean? When I see a new video in October, oh, I watch yeah. it and I'm like, yeah, I'm ready now. Like, that's- right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, that is, I mean, that the entry and exit route, the precision on that is something that I think a lot of people get wrong. Um, and, and that's why a lot of people just don't even see deer they don't even see the bucks that they're after that buck might have been in that area but i you know you can tell i mean man last year i was elk hunting and we were within a hundred yards of likely over 20 elk within a hundred yards of them and they caught our wind and they got out of there and we didn't even hear them move wow we knew they were bugling 
like we were, we were right there. I mean, when I ranged it, um, when we got to a spot where, where we thought we could see them, um, I ranged it and it was 50 yards and we had been moving within probably, yeah, we were probably within 80 yards of three bulls bugling. And then probably we heard un, unreal amount of cow calls and all these elk, you know, six, 500 to 800 pound animals got out of there with, and we never even heard them at all. It is so easy for a whitetail to see your movement or catch your wind and just walk away and you never even know they were there. Right. Especially in the early season with all the vegetation up, um, you know, the, the precision to the entry and exit route is so, so key. And I think, I mean, that's a, you make a great point. And it's one I honestly haven't really thought a ton about, which is avoiding all those satellite beds. And that's why you mark them is so that when you're doing your entry and exit route, you can, you know, you can essentially avoid them and not get into them. Are there, are there times where you kind of, one of the things that I always think is like, you know, sometimes you're going to bump a fork to get to a 10 point, exactly. right? It's, it just, it just is what it is. And they bed in really stupid locations. Yep. So, you know, you might have to bump them. But at the same time, the thing that always goes through my head that gives me confidence is like, dude, that fork could probably run away from a squirrel or a raccoon just as much as it'll run away from me. So a big, uh, uh, you know, a six-year-old is going to look at that and be like, ah, that kid's running for no reason. Yeah. And what I've, what I've noticed too, is like the really big mature bucks, they don't really, I mean, they'll pay attention when another deer busts, but they're, they're the kind of deer where they're like, I'm in my bulletproof setup. Like I need to have verification that something's wrong before I'm going to get out of this setup. You know, like I'm laying here, I'm not smelling anything. I'm not seeing anything. I don't hear anything. I don't know what's wrong with Joe down there, but he's going freaking crazy right now, but it doesn't matter to me. You know what? Like, does that make sense? Where does or little bucks are the exact opposite. They'll just like, they see a big buck run by and they just tear out. They're like, I'm out of here. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm gone if he's gone. Um, Yeah. I mean, do you think, do you think like, and this is all a hundred percent theoretical, but do you think if those does would have busted out like in blown, do you think he would have, do you think he would have stayed or held tighter longer? What do you think would have happened? I do. Yeah. So that's the one. And you never know, right? Like I've had it work both ways, or at least I think it worked both ways. It's theoretical. You're making shit up in your head on the fly. But uh, I would say that, you know, if I try to like, I'm acting like a buck, right? Like if I'm a buck and I'm bedded up here on this ridge and the three does that I know are here go down the hill and they start blowing like crazy and acting nuts and they run back up here, like maybe I'll still go down there, but maybe I won't do it until it's dark. You know what I mean? Like maybe I will wait a little bit longer and just hold up a little bit where if everything's calm and Hey, they went, they came down and they went through this flat already. Like I gotta be good. I'm going to run my, I'm going to run down there and get some acorns. Like that's all I'm thinking about. Right. So yeah, I think it does matter. I don't know. You can never quantify that. Obviously, you know, you're just going off of your own little intuitions and theories and stuff, but, but yeah, I personally think it does matter a little bit. Um, I generally like to hunt areas where there's only a buck there for that reason. You know, it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about it. Before this year, I've only ever even seen like three does in the woods in Ohio. Like I'm, I see bucks, you know, I go out after a buck, I set up over a buck bed and I see a buck. So it's seeing three in one night. I was, I was nervous, man. I was like, Oh, so if those are such good, like bedding areas, why don't more does bed there? Or how are you avoiding them? and not seeing them 
I, I really think it's just population, man. I, I think that a lot of times does don't even care about betting up in the upper third. You know, they, it doesn't matter to them as much. And it, it makes sense, you know, like a doe, they use each other to survive. So they don't need all those advantages. So they might bet in any little thick spot in that thousand acres anywhere. It doesn't matter to them as much where a buck is just, he's relying on himself and he's lone. And so he has to be perfect. He has to have all these advantages. So the does just don't need those advantages. They have other things to help keep them alive. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, I think quantity, that's my, that's my mentality numbers, anyways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. And I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And I know Jeff Sturgis has talked about it on a few videos that uh, does will bed in the lower third of a ridge side because it's closer to the food and it's easier access. And they, they essentially aren't as, as scared. Whereas bucks will typically bed in that upper third, you know, yeah. they'll, they like that upper side. So then during the day you get all those thermals rising it's likelier that they're going to catch anything down below them. Um, or on, on the vice versa, if the wind's coming over the top of the ridge, then they, and they're in a more open area, like that one area you were talking about earlier, they can see everything down below. Them. Yeah, so then exactly. they know what's going on and they can smell everything behind them. And they're just, they're set. That's a lot of similarities. This guy named Derek Lauren, I had on a podcast. It was his fir first podcast. He's never, he's not very, um, well-known dude, but he's killed three great bucks in three years on a new piece of property. And he's using the exact strategy that you are, except he has uh, fingers coming off these ridges yep. and he's, there's, there's scrapes between these fingers. So yep. he's trying to figure out which buck based on the wind, which finger are these bucks wanting to bet on. Right. Yeah. And yep. then based on that, he's setting up between that scrape and the scrapes also typically hold white oaks as well in that same area which yeah. you know the more i think about it they really seem to go hand in hand right these deer are all headed to the white oaks and they're just going to make us they're they can make a scrape anywhere why did they make it here because it's it's a natural hub as it is for the food anyway because exactly. this white oak has been here for the last 90 years 130 years yeah that's right? that's exactly it. it it has to do with the direction they're traveling the most often and uh to that point too you know like the finger thing like when I, when I talk about a sub ridge, a lot of times I'm talking about fingers too. So it's, it's even okay. more similar, you know, it's like the same, some are just like little, little knobs, but a lot of them are fingers of these ridges that run down. That's like okay. this one, this little white Oak flat, the sub ridge was 100% a finger, if you want to call it okay. that. So it's the same, it's just a different, you know, different, different terminology. Term. Yeah. Okay. And that makes, that makes sense. And, and it's, it's so cool to just like see that in terms of, um, you know, hill country and how these bucks use that terrain to their advantage and how you're able to get in there and get after them. Um, all right. So we covered all that. I, yeah. And the entry and exit I wanted to cover and I wanted to stick a point on that. Um, 12 yard shot, double long, just knocked them down. How long do you think you were holding your bow back for? Did you time that? Did you look back on the footage? It, it probably was only like, I don't know. It might've been, a minute and a half ish minute 20 it wasn't terribly long but it was enough to make you like you know and, and this year and I, I went from a wrist strap to a thumb style this year so that kind of just even adds to it a little bit more you know I'm just holding it back with my fingers so it was yeah. it was different man I'm in a saddle you know on the backside, kind of twisted around the tree mm -hmm. and 
just trying not to make noise. My arrow is jumping off my rest like normal. You know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep that finger up there to keep poking that arrow back on or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's that is another key point um, that I think a lot of people uh, overlook is putting the tree between you and the deer where you think that deer is going to come from. That if in the absence of cover, like good branches, good foliage, like that is that is your best option is to just sit on that backside and look, use the tree as, as the cover that you need. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And it, it, that's why I bring the stand and I can sit in it or I can saddle hunt off the back. Like I really like that just combination because, you know, if you do have great cover off the front and maybe you have limbs where it'd be kind of hard to saddle hunt, I just sit on the front of the tree, like a tree stand with all that cover around me. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, <laughs> And you have a tree where you're like, this is the tree that I can kill this buck in. And it has no cover. It's really nice to be able to put that tree in between you and the deer. Mm -hmm. That's, and, and I always like having a strong side shot, you know, like, yeah, you could technically set up your stand on the backside of the tree and sit down away from the deer looking the complete wrong direction, but I'd rather just set up my stand and saddle hunt out of it. It just makes more right. sense. Well, yeah. And I actually find myself, um, using bring when i sit out of a stand i'll bring my saddle as like my safety harness anyway yeah so and that's i'll just clip it so it's pretty much like i'm bringing it anyway you know yep so why yeah that's ex that's exactly what i'm doing right there and uh the cool thing about the stand too like i tell everybody is if you flip your seat up and you flip your cushion around now you got a knee pad so it just makes it even better <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense and you're running you're running the, the lone wolf custom gear stuff right yeah, the DS5. So it's so light anyways. It, it, it's yeah. like, and then on top of it, it's a frame pack on the way out and it does work. I've packed my buck out on it this year. I mean, that's that nice. it, it was a, it was a damn tough two and a half mile hike, but I got it out of there with that frame pack. Yeah. You leave. So you left that thing. Did you leave it whole and just like strap it? No, I quartered it actually. Okay. So I, yeah, that's right. I remember reading that. Yeah. Yep. Did it quarter out. it out because man, that, that was, I mean, he was hands down the biggest body buck I've ever killed. Not even close. I don't know if he was over 250, over 260, but he dwarfed every other deer I've ever shot. Oh man. And you pulled him out in one. Yeah. Oh yeah. One trip, one trip. Out. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot to pull out. Did you debone him too or no? So no, it was, uh, you know, basically just take the knuckles off like the legs so you have yep. your hind quarters then you have your front shoulders uh back straps and inner loins and then the neck i just left right on the head to get out of there sure so basically i have just rib cage left over i mean that's, yeah, yeah. that's all that's left no that makes sense like five parts you know quarter quarter yeah. quarter quarter and then you kind of your meat bag for your loins and all that and your scrap and then yeah your neck and your head oh that's awesome um cool so then what are your is there anything else that you thought was really unique about that? Cause other than that, um, you know, I I'm we're we're an hour and a half hour and 20 minutes into this hour and 15, something like that. Um, I want to ask you about your next, your next plans and what you're up to, but is there anything else you want to talk to about that hunt at all? So that, that's pretty much it. You know, I, I just hope that the takeaway for everybody is, you know, like there, I had, I don't know, probably 25 or 30 beds marked in that hub system, but I believed in my head that deer is bedded there and I'm making my access route and I'm basing my wind and everything off that one bed. Like, I don't care about the other beds. And even when I bumped a buck off one of the other beds, I don't, I don't care. It's not my buck. You know what I mean? Like that mentality yeah. and being able to 
you know, if I didn't do that and I was like, well, he could be in any one of these 30 beds. Honestly, I never even would have went in there because I can't get in there. You know, I'm going to walk by one of those beds. I have to. So having the, that mentality where you're just very confident in yourself goes a long ways. And like I said, it won't always work out, but if you guys do that, I think over time, you're going to see a lot more success. And then kind of the spidey sense thing will take over too. You know, over time, you're like, I know he's there, like he's there and it works <laughs> out and, and there you are. So um, just that though, and, and don't be scared to bump deer. You know, like I'm sure there's guys out there that would have bumped that buck off that bed and thrown their hands up and stormed out of there or been like, ah, oh, well, screw it. I'm just going to walk as, as fast as I can and go now. Nope. Keep your game plan. You have a game plan for a reason and just stick to it and see if it plays out. You know, like you gotta, you gotta go for it. Um, but yeah, besides that, that's pretty much it for that hunt, man. Okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, three good bucks over three years on new pieces of public and all that confidence comes with homework, right? Homework, 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 homework. And, you know, a lot of people might think might call that risky, but if you have the, if you have the homework and the knowledge and information, it's not the risk really, really diminishes. So I think that's, I think that's where a lot of people think that other people like yourself are, well, he's too aggressive. You know, that'll only work one time. It's, it's not going to work all these other times, but a lot of these other people aren't doing the amount of homework that you're doing. And that's why they just like to sit their food plots and their box blinds and, and hang out. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, th and that has a place, you know, there's people that have different, different styles of hunting they want to do and stuff, but as far as risk, I mean, the, the proof's in the numbers, you know what I mean? Like if you're consistently producing in the first week, you know, this year marks, it's either eight out of 10 or nine out of 11 years in a row. Like, so eight out of the last 10 years that I've killed my target buck within the first week and a half, two weeks season. And so there's, there's something to that. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a matter of, it's a matter of believing in your, in your homework and just going for it. And like you said, yeah, sure. It's risky, especially if you have like one giant buck you're after. I get that. But this, this strategy definitely should have a place in everybody's arsenal. Yeah, I agree. All right. Awesome. So if you guys want to watch the video, you want to find Jake, Jake, what's the best spot to go? So I'm on Instagram, uh, Jake Bush solo. And I, that whole storyline of how that played out is on there. It's pinned. Um, and I post a lot of just like scouting videos throughout the year. You know, they're clunky. i kind of probably more like the Dan in fault style. Like I, it looks like I'm filming with a potato half the time and, um, <laughs> which is great. You know, I love that raw style of footage and, but it, it, I think there's a lot of value to it. I really do. I think that, you know, I'll get down in these beds and explain why I think he's here, what I'm looking for in beds, like certain tips when he's leaving the bed, what he's doing. And, uh, just like try to put out the best information I can kind of some motivational stuff. And then YouTube is a little better films. Like I'm trying to get better at producing stuff. It's a work in progress, but the YouTube is legends of the hunt. Got it. All right. So Jake Bush solo on Instagram and YouTube legends of the hunt. Look Jake up, give him a follow, give him subscribe and check, wait for this video to come out at the end of October. That's awesome. I'm excited for it. Turn those notifications on. <laughs> um all right well thanks jake really appreciate it everybody listening uh if you have any questions for them please look them up or if you have uh, any questions for me hit me up please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast if you guys enjoyed this tell your friends about it tell them to listen to it great info for everybody um and that's the position that i try to take is is just like trying to draw out this information from jake 
um, pull, pull the, uh, pull the buried knowledge from within his mind to give it to you guys <laughs> for your own hunts. So appreciate everyone and we'll catch you next time.